from Immersive Labs, this is Cyberhumanity. Hello again, I'm your host, Chris Pace. Cyberhumanity is the podcast taking cybersecurity personally, trying to get inside the heads of hackers, as well as putting our feet in the shoes of defenders. These podcasts essentially come in two flavors, either us ranting about themes close to the hearts of security types, or us chatting about threat and security stuff from recent weeks. I'm joined by three of my own managed security persons, Kev Breen, <laughs> Anthony Dalton, and Max Vetter. Hello. 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 Oh, that was like coordinated <laughs> hellos, like a barbershop. Oh, no, trio. <laughs> that doesn't really work. <laughs> this week, the cybersecurity story dominating the headlines is Kaseya um, and Revil. I think we've still agreed that we're calling them Revil and the quite absurd slash obscene $70 million worth of ransom that they're asking for. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it's obscene. Well, what's the highest we've had then? So uh, they're saying they've had one million infected and encrypted devices, and the I think it was forty-five thousand US dollars uh, on each of those. So with one million of those at forty-five thousand, that's what like forty-five billion dollars. So seventy million seems like quite a big discount. Yeah, I guess. Although I think the high, I think the highest <laughs> paid is probably like 40 million isn't it i can't remember for, how much yeah for, for a i can't Something remember like that, how yeah. much uh garmin pays uh, garmin was only five ten oh okay so there million? you are so I, which i think is where around where the average hovers um anyway i didn't actually want to get embroiled too much <laughs> in the ransom demand we can come to that later i'm actually still struggling to work out how what the actual kind of attack chain of this thing is I, keep, I read different articles, some in the mainstream press and then some in the industry press that I feel are telling me different things or using different language. That means I can't actually work out what has happened. So Kev, I'm like, cause peop, some people are saying it's a supply chain attack. Then other people are saying it's not a supply chain attack, saying it's a traditional hack. Some people are saying it's a zero day. Um, so can you sort of step us through like what what it actually is yeah because it gets really muddy because like all of those things are fairly accurate but it's just there's mm. a specific sequence of things that have happened so yeah so starting right at the beginning um so kaseya build a product that product um allows you to manage fleets of devices uh so mm. uh if i was using it here at immersive labs i would uh have um either a cloud-based product or an on-premise product. And if I wanted to update the patches and policies and software and configuration on all of my laptops, that's the device that I would uh, use to do it. And Kaseya mm. build that application. Um, it's a web-based application, uh, so that's how I access it. Um, and that's where this story really begins. So in that web application, there is at least one zero-day vulnerability. The attackers discovered this zero-day vulnerability. Uh, they then scanned the internet for it, of which there are about 6,000 of these things uh, public-facing. They exploited that vulnerability on the Kaseya on-premise devices. Uh, so this is the attackers attacking those on-premise devices directly. Once they'd gained access to it using that zero-day on 
potentially a couple of different zero days. They then told the appliance to push an update to every device it manages. That update was install the sod Nakibi ransomware. Oh, so it kind of it. So I see where the confusion comes yeah. there because it feels similar to Sunburst in the fact that it is using a widely used application to push something nasty. But actually, the difference is that this wasn't a might argue a hack in the truest sense. It was the exploiting of a vulnerability that already existed in Kaseya in order to then get access to those systems. Yes. Now the supply chain element comes in, in that MSPs will use this to manage multiple customers. And that means so they we, have access we, to multiple networks. So we saw co-op uh, in the Netherlands, I think, uh, were hit incredibly hard. Now the co-op do not use Kaseya. Mm. The co-op go to an MSP, that MSP uses Kaseya. So for the co-op, this was a supply chain compromise because their supply chain was compromised the, being the MSP. But it's not a Kaseya were compromised. Uh, it was just their product. Like it does get a little bit murky the further down that chain you go. And where was that instance of Sodna Kibi pushed from? Because if that, if you, if, if uh, Kaseya itself wasn't compromised, surely it must have come from somewhere external. Uh, no, so it, it came from, uh, so, uh, if I was using it here in Immersive Labs, I've got my server in our server room in the corner of the building. That's running the Kaseya application. That's connected to the internet. So the attackers from wherever they are in the world connected directly to my box, my server room. They uploaded Sodnakibi to that box, which is sat on our premise, uh, okay. and then said push this to every laptop that we have and every server that we have because this that's is the, the job this is the job that Kaseya is designed to do that's why it the exists well, yeah. that's, a that's a clever thing about using this software right is that actually pushing the the ransomware is just a normal function of the operating software but getting into the software <laughs> itself oh I'm not you know they wouldn't usually do ransomware but that is in pushing out <laughs> software and then but it's actually just the vulnerability to Kaseya that they got in it's pretty clever that they used, yeah. you know, like picked that kind of software that could then affect so many other, other, other devices. Yeah. Now, Kaseya like acted fairly quickly, and I think that prevented this being. Like, this was fairly large, but it prevented it being from even bigger. Like I said, there were there were six thousand public facing appliances, and I think only like a few hundred of them were hit. It could have been much larger, um, but we saw this happen very quickly. Um, I think it was actually Huntress Labs uh, who came out, and there's a live thread going on Reddit uh, that's giving out detail. Kaseya took themselves offline, so they took their uh, like this runs either on prem or in cloud. They took uh, they took their own cloud offline because they didn't know what was happening. They just knew that something in their product was being affected. They didn't know whether it was their cloud, so they they took the proactive decision to take their cloud offline and instructed everybody in cooperation with uh, with CISA. Uh, to shut down your on-prem um, and that that came out very quickly so uh, and we saw that we saw a lot of people going in and shutting them down uh, and uh, unfortunately uh, we're a few days after and Kaseya still have not managed to bring their SaaS platform back up online. I want to go back to something else you just mentioned there are you saying that Huntress Labs are using Reddit as a threat intel feed? Live threat intel 
fire Reddit. <laughs> uh, to be fair, this is AMA, not... AMA about, like, this ransomware attack. Slash to ransomware. be fair, this isn't the first time we've seen Reddit used in this yeah. way. Um, like, it has happened a couple of times. Uh, so the salt stack uh, vulnerability from last year that affected, like, uh, Ghost and Cisco and... Uh, a couple of others. Uh, there was a live Reddit thread there as well, where the community came together, and that's that's the big thing here is that getting that information out into the community uh, as quickly as possible. That's the thing I really loved. Let us return to the ransomware demand because I said I didn't want to talk about it right at the beginning because I didn't really understand the context for the ransomware demand, but now I kind of do. I'm still confused. If Sodana Kiwi was deployed to, you know, let's say further down the chain via these MSPs, who are Revil demanding ransom from? Are they demanding it from Kaseya? And what's the context for them demanding that would suggest that they have some form of persistence inside of Kaseya that enables them to make that ransom demand? So there's two there's there's two things at play here. So when Sodna Kiwi ransomware gets installed, uh, it encrypts all your files, gives you a unique key you go to the Revil portal, put your mm. key in, and it says, for your device, it's 44,000 US dollars. Now, because right. of the way this was deployed, uh, it was the same affiliate that did all these attacks, which means it's the same ransomware deployment across all of them. So what Revil have come out and said, everybody's still free to pay like their individual things. However, if somebody, don't care who it is, pays us 70 million, we will release the keys for everybody. So all 1 million devices, uh, all of the keys will be released. And that's what they're saying. So they're, both those things are true. There's still every, each in, each organization can pay individually or somebody can pay the 70 million and they'll release all the keys. Uh, that just feels to me like they're adding, that shows a misunderstanding of their own business model because... No, it doesn't. If, it's clever but, on them. But how, but how can they ever expect that all of these organizations are going to get together and be able to decide amongst themselves how much they're going to, how much they're going to pay or not pay? Because Revil, who operate a, like a one-to-one -one relationship with the people they hacked, now have one million hacked devices. They don't mm. have enough people, enough resource to manage 100. Uh, well, they don't have enough resource to manage one million relationships. No, of course. Yeah. So this that means that they can just get one. Also, it might be quite smart and it turns up the pressure on the uh, chief executive of Kaseya or whoever because it gives, uh, it starts that discussion about is he, uh, are they going to do anything about it? Um, obviously, I don't think they'll ever expect to get 70 million, but it's putting quite a lot of kind of reputational pressure on them to actually figure out what they are going to do and do something about it. So it starts that discussion happening, I think. I think this sets a really dangerous precedent because... Uh, Kaseya didn't do anything wrong like so to like in the widest sense of the term like yes they had some vulnerabilities in their platform but we've seen tens of thousands of vulnerabilities in Microsoft and Cisco yet they when print nightmare was exploited or when um zero locker was uh, not zero locker um zero login was exploited like nobody's ever turned around and say microsoft like you must pay us because you're culpable for that and that's what this is happening like there's a trend now that we're seeing where the blame is being placed on kaseya even though it wasn't strictly speaking anything they did wrong outside of shipping a product with which is yeah which that's you could argue could, that could happen to any you know that could happen to any software provide that's not a, that's not a Absolutely, necessarily yeah. an unusual thing um so let's circle back to uh to fred then fred fred vacola 
the CEO of uh, the CEO of Kaseya. Let's talk first of all, um, though, about. Uh, I'm going to redo that bit just to make sure I get it right because I want to get to the. I want to do the failure to reboot the thing and then, um, and then the CEO. So where are we now? There are parts of Kaseya that have been offline for some reason, and now they're trying to bring them up. What's the context there? So this is their their cloud offering. So the on-prem bit is the bit that was attacked by uh, the vulnerability. Uh, very early on, Kaseya didn't know, so they took they made the decision to take their SaaS platform offline. So uh, if you don't run on-prem, you're running the cloud. That's the thing that's offline. So there's going to be a lot of customers who no longer have access to manage their fleet of devices. So that in itself is a pretty scary place to be, especially as Print Nightmare just released their patches. And if you use Vasea to push your well, patches, I mean, they, they, you can't they said, they said you know, SaaS customers were <laughs> at risk. So we're taking it down, and but we'll be back up straight away. So why, yeah, what, come back why if it hasn't away, come back it? straight out? <laughs> it suggests they were at risk, and they you know, because why wouldn't they? And they took it down. They took it down on the second of July. We are now at the seventh. For context, we are recording this on the seventh of July at five past four. They issued a statement at six a.m. Eastern time, which would be like twelve p.m. our time. So four hours ago, saying that all systems would be online and accessible, and they're obviously not. Um, the CEO has said that, um, you know, the SAS restoration is expected in the coming hours, although they are being conservative about it. But I wonder whether this is going to rumble on today. I think we're going to see now lots of speculation about why has it been so difficult to address this vulnerability and bring that system back up. I don't think, just reading this, I don't think patches are out yet for the VSA software itself, which means that people won't have turned their VSA back on because the second mm. you turn it back on, like it's vulnerable to attack. So I think I think every Kaseya customer is still, I think all of the Kaseyas are offline unless you've uh, put other mitigations in place, like taking it offline, you can't, the internet can't talk to it kind of stuff to give yourself a buffer which is still a kind of risky move well and i find all this fascinating in the context in the context of um the ceo coming out in rec recording a video um essentially and the register describes this as coming out swinging um when nothing's been patched yet so so the ceo has time to make a video that says even the best defenses you know get um get beaten and you know referencing a direct competitor that have had similar um problems and saying things like all of a sudden cybercrime and ransomware has become the topic of the day and we're caught in the middle of it and people are looking to make a story and make the impact much larger than it is um, that's a that's a quote that's a quote from that video and this is an attack that has seen you know Businesses going without their IT management tools. Um, you know the supermarket, the, the co-op example that the supermarkets closed down um, in Sweden. More than a thousand ransomware infections. The seventy million, you know, ransomware demand. The only cyber story that there really was across the whole weekend up to now. And he is saying the impact of this is not that is not that large. 
Yeah, and the, the, pre the press release that it said yesterday was uh, due to our team's fast response, it's been localized to a very small number of on-premise customers only. And <laughs> so what's what's a large number? If yeah. 800 stores going offline, that's just a small blip. Yeah, thing, but I think like, the, the, the... Sorry, go on, Anthony. I, I was just going to say, the thing is, he's in a difficult position because he is being told by his comms people that he has to come out and say something and be leaderly and, you know, get on the front foot in some way, shape or form. But... This is a problem that the whole world has failed to crack thus far. So what exactly is he really going to say and do? But he has to be visible and be seen to do something, I guess. So it is going to be difficult for him to actually move towards any kind of resolution. Well, but we, I mean, you, you kind of have to watch the video to get the tone of it. We'll make sure it gets shared in the notes of the episode. But I would say that it would be of a, been a more valuable use of his time for him to record that video and give people the context for what is happening inside that organization to attempt to restore services that companies are paying for. That's just one. I mean, the ransomware attack is just one part of it. It's the lack of available services to manage IT systems for other you know, like, for example, the print nightmare patch has just been released. If I'm a Kaseya user looking to address that zero day, what, Kev, what do I do? Am I hamstrung? Do I now have to use group policy or something else to try and push it out? Yeah, again, like, if you're running this yourself, you might have the infrastructure in place to be able to deploy it. But if you're using a managed service provider to mm. do all this for you, and the managed service provider has got 200 customers, which is why they rely on this, that's where it starts to and get the a bit... SLAs now the SLAs of those managed service providers that are going to start to incur financial penalties from their customers I tell you what, I feel sorry for the help desks mm. uh, the service desks at the <laughs> yeah. MSPs because they're going to be taking a yeah. bucket load of uh, yeah meanwhile meanwhile the CEO from Kaseya is telling us that we're all you know making too much of a fuss about it and it could happen to anybody and you know I don't disagree with what he's saying like Kaseya are being held in a really difficult position. Like, like I said, it's strictly speaking, like they weren't compromised. They are a victim of this as well. But you're right. Like that's not what he needed to come out. He needed, he needed to come out and say, like, we're sorry, we had some bugs in our thing. Like we own that. We're fixing that. This is our timeline for it. The SaaS platforms offline. We own that. This is what we're doing. That that's what people want. They don't care about any deflection. Well, but yeah, they, they've, they've said on don't the, care. the board might. Mm. Well, they, they've said on on this, I'm reading this whole page on the Casey website, and it says only only forty victims affected, and it's kind of like saying, you know, if, okay, there are forty MSPs, and each of the MSPs have, you know, <laughs> yeah, thousand yeah, customers. There is a, like, the, the, well, there is an awful <laughs> lot of there is an awful lot of uh, as Anthony just alluded to. There is an awful lot of sort of spin happening that that any anyone with a modicum of understanding can read between the lines and see but it just feels to me releasing these statements that are do all this minimizing of what has happened just makes it seem like you're not doing anything else like yeah, if you're yeah. focusing on your pr machine and don't get me wrong that has to get some focused focus but if you're focusing on your pr machine simply to minimize the problem rather than to communicate what you're doing in order to fix it then I think that is I think that is wrong, and I think potentially will will end up reflecting actually pretty badly on them. And you can't and you can't say it's a really small attack on us. Mm. So so yeah. just because it's affected a million devices, it's like you, someone someone in the PR department's got to realise 
doesn't come across great. That like, oh, it's really, really small attack. They'll probably look to let their online channels take care of the detailed fixes um, and customer service stuff, to be honest with you. I think if you put your chief executive up for something, um, you're trying to mitigate impact on share price and future value of the company. So I think they're probably just trying to soften the blow there slightly. I think the interesting thing uh, for me is um, what happens now from a uh, Biden administration point of view, the now, uh, now that this has been kind of rubbed in their face again after them standing up and saying mm. what they said after the colonial pipeline thing like, for mm. me that is a far more interesting question like he's come out saying you know i'm melling i'm mulling potential options i mean what what options do they have i mean uh, are they going to indict some people and those people will never get brought to justice are they going to you know carry out some kind of dark infrastructure offensive thing i i would be really interested to understand what's going to happen next on that point of view personally there's there's two things there so one uh apparently us and russia are holding a summit on cybercrime following the caseo attack as reported by the times uh but the thing you said there which which made me giggle is um i was reading something uh, and i'm segueing here uh i was reading something earlier about a uk law firm uh who had issued a uh oh what was it like they've basically, they've been ransomware. Yeah, they've been ransomware. The information is in the public domain, and they've got a high court writ essentially against anybody who has that <laughs> who has that data. And the only yeah, people so, that have it at the moment are a ransomware gang. So the the entire world hasn't been able to get this like under handle, but some high court writ out of a. It's gonna do uh, it. It's gonna fix okay, it. That's gonna do it. It's gonna fix Sorry, it. Sorry, I, I derailed that, but it just reminded me and it, it tickled me. Uh, but yeah, so to the point, like the US and Russia are apparently holding a summit because Russia have always historically said they're not like we know this comes from the Russian bloc, and they've said that they're not breaking any Russian law. Therefore, there's nothing for the Russian government to hold their their people accountable against. Well, this, I mean, it's quite interesting. It'd be interesting to see what that summit, in, I'm making air quotes here, like, uh, you know, is. Because, I mean, we know, we know there's been pretty um, uh, open agreement of certain actors in the Russian government that hackers, uh, if they don't touch Russian targets, then they can, they'll be allowed to, to carry on. That's been, that's, that's been documented uh, over the last 20 years. So it'd be interesting to see what actually because because i frank i don't know what anyone else thinks but ransomware isn't going to go away anytime soon unless a certain government decides to crack down on it mm. uh, i think uh, i don't know if what anyone else thinks and, and it doesn't sound like they will well it could i mean we've discussed before the potential of sanctions i suppose is the only other route you know that they could go down unless they decide to go you know unless they decide to go offensive um, and and that is you know that, I suppose that's the thing that's been hyped up. It's been hyped up for a long time. We haven't seen it happen, um, but maybe actually you know we're reaching a point where if there are these continual you know attacks on you know either businesses or you know critical infrastructure that they they may not be they just may not be able to hold back anymore and they may have to go and be um, proactive we may see the same thing again here where they pay a ransom that the that law enforcement then attempt to go and you know then attempt to go and retrieve we saw that happen with um with colonial i the, the just as we um come into to a close on this the thing i did want to talk about though is the difference between sort of the if we thought about this in the context of the NIST, you know, cybersecurity framework phases, what I find interesting is the way that this all gets munged together. Like Kaseya's really, let's be honest, very terrible resilience and recovery job here. 
they took down their own service which they now can't bring up in order to continue to operate their business but the focus is on ah we've been attacked well that's only one that's only one part of the process isn't it the rest of the rest of it is how your business deals with that how prepared you are for it how effective are the systems in place to recover and it feels like he doesn't have to answer any questions about that he just has to answer questions about about the you know the attack the ransom you know those are the things that we care about whereas actually if you're one of their customers what you care about is i can't use the system that i'm paying for i mean the the thing from like yeah the other thing is, this isn't the first time it's happened to Kaseya. This is the second time in 2019, Kaseya was weaponized to deliver Sodden Akibi ransomware. Mm, so it's almost like the Sodden Akibi wow. realized that they, they make a good target. And so by commissioning your, you know, um, commissioning your, your um, attackers to go and find weaknesses in that, you know, in that software, they clearly, that feels to me like for the, don't like using the phrase, but th this does feel to me like it was a properly, you know, targeted and executed you know, attack against Kaseya. And I think the thing we haven't mentioned there is the timing of all this, like the 4th of July weekend, like late on a Friday, mm. like that. Classic, just... classic Sodden Akibi. They'd done it before. They did it with Travelex. I don't know if you remember, Travelex was new. I think it was New, new Year's, Year's Eve, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So no, so no one was working. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it'd be interesting to did they pay the ransom in uh, in 2019? That'd be interesting to see if they did, and then they've come back to more. The reports of um, I, I haven't read enough about it. The reports of 460,000 being paid and 600k being paid, uh, but I don't know who or what or have no validation on those. This is just reading a two-year-old thread. Oh, by Hunter's Labs. <laughs> interesting, also to see um, what other weird and wonderful pieces of enterprise software that you know are used by msps and all the rest of it will we'll, we'll get targeted next and what they do because it seems that the, the those kind of low profile um high impact um pieces of uh, enterprise software are, are kind of definitely in the uh, in the attack sites now doesn't it mm. we the saw we, yeah yeah, we saw that with nation states going after solar winds uh, and we've seen that here in the supply chain we saw it in the uh, the oil pipeline attack, like supply chain compromise, seems to give you the biggest bang for your buck, and it's a trend I don't see going away anytime soon. It puts the pressure on companies to like do more in the security hardening of their appliances before they ship them. Moving us along from attacks to uh, privacy concerns, uh, a bit of audio editing software called audacity which some of you may be familiar with it's pretty widely used and it's an open source tool um is denying accusations that a new privacy policy that it's introduced um has turned it into uh, possibly into spyware 100 million users worldwide and the updated policy says that data from audacity um, and we'll get into what that data is in a minute uh, can effectively be shared um with it's Russia-based infrastructure company, um, WSM, as well as uh, law enforcement. So, Kev, first of all, because so that we have the context at the outset, what is the data that they're actually talking about? Because they they have been pretty vociferous about saying this is not, you know, personal data. Yeah. So there's a really clear set of things, and then there's a really fuzzy thing. Yeah. Uh, so first, the clear stuff. So uh, OS version. Use the country based on your IP address. 
your IP address, um, the OS name and version, uh, the CPU, which is probably just the CPU architecture, uh, non-fatal error codes and messages, uh, and then any crash reports. And again, all of those can be disabled in the software and the appliance. And a lot of that is related to updates and you connect into the uh, the website or signing into an account. Mm. The bit where it gets a bit fuzzy, which is probably the only bit that people are really caring about, is um, data necessary for law enforcement litigation and authority requests, if any. You don't really know what that means. We don't really know what that means. <laughs> now, the I would caveat that by saying we know that they're not collecting that much information. Like we can see all the data that's going to them. It's not like you have like a lot of personal data. It doesn't ship entire audio clips. None of that is being streamed like up to their services when you use Audacity. So there's not a lot they can hand over, but they'll have IP addresses and stuff like that. So I yeah, I, I, the the phrase like no direct identifiers uh, really uh, really hangs in a, in there. Like, what, okay, so no actual names and contact details, but as we all know, it's pretty easy to no direct identifiers uh, is quite a broad term in itself. Uh, that you could definitely, you know, so is IP address a direct identifier? Probably not, but you can still can you do use a lot that IP address? Can you use that IP address to find out other stuff? Well, you could, you could definitely use it. For, in law enforcement to to track that person tell us more max (laughs) well and that's the so it depends on yeah what do they mean by and there's other other kind of things in there like staff members or they'll share data to a potential buyer uh, in connection with proposed purchase or merger of acquisition or any part of our business well that makes complete sense to me because if you're going to buy a business you might want to know the nature of your of its users like what operating system do they use and what countries are they in like that i mean that's it isn't that obvious like okay can i do devil's advocate just for a mo sure if um this was an article about facebook we'd be go- we'd be all be shrugging and going yeah obvs like obviously <laughs> like of course, yeah. like they're a social network. Um, I I get that for free, and I recognise that I'm the product, and so therefore I'm prepared to give that data away. This is a free tool, mostly. It's mostly a, the free version, I think, that people use, um, and so therefore I don't. I, I'm sort of confused as to why people would think that a tool that you're using for free wouldn't collect some sort of you know data about you to understand how it's used, you know, where people are who are using it. Um, all that kind of stuff. I agree, though, that there is that slightly um, that slightly weird clause about, um, you know, law enforcement. And, of course, the other thing is the Russia connection, which I guess is what's making people a bit twitchy. But I also, I also think that because it's been amended, right? So it was, it was fine, and then maybe they're trying to move towards some kind of um, monetization model, and suddenly they've got loads of relatively dodgy um, changes to the privacy policy. There's yeah. still, there's still not that much information actually going up there. It's not like it's sending all of the audio clips. Like, I wonder how many people, how many of these people have a Netgear device. So you can turn all of this off, by the way. Mm. Uh, like my favourite Netgear. I'm in love with them at the minute. So I looked at their metrics, which you cannot disable. They're sending my IP address, my MAC address, how much traffic I'm downloading, how much I'm uploading, like how many wireless networks I've got, how many shares I've got connected to it. All of that is being shipped by Netgear. Can't turn it off. All mm. encrypted. Don't even see it. Yeah. Are you in love with Netgear because of the security or because the lack the of lack security? of. <laughs> To be yeah. fair, they have finally started responding to me, and I have 120 days 
uh, disclosure notice, but I'm probably not going to get paid for the bug bounties because I can't use the bug bounty program. Uh, but like, like I said, there's like for the specifically talking about Audacity, like there's there's not that much information. There's no really sensitive stuff going up. It's like Microsoft is collecting more information about your your usage of your things, and this well, thing this is, is sending my up. Point. Well, this is my point, isn't it? Yeah. And it's it feels it's why it feels like it's trying to make um it feels like it's trying to make a WhatsApp comparison you know that thing where we're going to start collecting <laughs> we're going to start collecting some kinds of data and i think when we talked about it we talked about this way back max and i think you pointed out that what they what in in that case what whatsapp is able to do is able to connect data that seems unrelated and make connections with what it knows about you and other platforms like facebook and instagram i don't think that audacity is quite as like ubiquitous as that like someone's using it someone's no. using it like once a week to edit their youtube videos or you know edit their podcast or whatever and it just feels it feels a bit of a it does feel a bit, bit of a stretch yes. it's a bit of a it's, it's one of those stories that is um has almost become greater than the sum of its parts almost, I think, because you've got all the nice elements of a story here. You've got a seemingly innocuous piece of software that does something else, collecting some stuff, which is number mm -hmm. one. It's going to Russia, which immediately makes people run around like their hair's on fire. And then the, the, <laughs> next, the, 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 the next part of it is someone has called it possible spyware. And because you've got that hook that leads into a headline, something someone has called something possible spy, spyware, that's why it's become a story. But, but it's this, not... It's I not don't a, know what... I don't know where the Russia thing came from. It's like all your personal data is stored in servers in the uh, European economic area, which means Russia. No, that's not what that means. I think it uh, is headquartered. So, uh, yeah, it's Russian headquarters headquarters in, in Russia. Yeah. So. I mean, but the thing is, you've got you've got Git. I mean, the, like Reddit users, GitHub users. Twitter oh. users, like the people who are being vocal about this, to your point, Anthony, are those are those people where everyone is a privacy or security expert. And, you know, the quote, and this is the quote, right? So they collect any data the authorities request. It's stored in the EU, but sh they share it with Russia and the USA. For software that runs locally, question mark, I would call that spyware by definition, someone wrote on a Linux subreddit. <laughs> and that is sort of like where that quote came from tells you everything you need to know. The fact that an article is being written by a journalist who is quoting someone in a Linux subreddit, I think tells you whether, it's, whether this is a thing that we care about or not. Can I, can I also just point out that by visiting the privacy policy in a browser, you're sending all of your stuff to Google Analytics. <laughs> 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 yeah, but we, we love Google. Though. Yeah, but their, their, ser right. their servers are in Mountain View, so everything's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, bit of a non, bit of a non-story, <laughs> to be honest. Let's talk instead about um, about malware. So we like that. We like talking about malware. Um, I stumbled across this story uh, a week ago, and I wanted to cover it, but we had too much, too many other things to talk about. But basically, there is a, a threat actor called Bizarre Loader. I think it's a bit of malware actually called Bizarre Loader. It's a downloader, right? Um, and it is the most complex and convoluted attack method i, I think i've ever seen and so, so that's good. why that's why i wanted to talk about it um on the podcast so researchers at proofpoint have identified this campaign and and it uses what they've described as and i think this is a kind way 
of saying inefficient, <laughs> but requires significant human interaction to execute and install the thing, right? So basically it starts with an email that instructs a recipient to call a number to cancel a supposed subscription that they have to um, a service, right? So it might say, oh, you, uh, I, I could rant about this, but I'm not going to. Like, you've got insurance on a TV that you don't want anymore. You need to ring up and cancel it, right? So the victim calls the number. They're then redirected to a fraudulent call center that is operated by the attackers themselves. And the victims are told to visit a website. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, they visit a website. The website's infected. It downloads. Oh, no, 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 no. That would be too simple. <laughs> to download an Excel file to then cancel the service, that file contains the malicious macro that then downloads the payload. And then, of course, Cobalt Strike. I think I would have fallen asleep by step three, to be honest with you. <laughs> how, how does this even, how is this even working? It, uh, the thing for me is like the amount of detail in those sites. So the one that Proofpoint show you is a, um, a movie site. So it's, it's all very Netflix-esque, mm. but it's got real artwork, real film. I mean, they're not real films. They're not real artwork, but they all look and sound like the, Dog Woof, um, like The Perfect Match, Women's Day, uh, The Easy Reach. Like these are names of the whole thing looks like it's like a real functioning website. So this is the this is sorry, this is the email that says you need to cancel the subscription. Is that right? Yeah, so the email says um, To Bravo Movies. Bravo movies, uh, you need to cancel your subscription, otherwise you're gonna get billed again. So you go, you follow the like you phone them up and they say, here's the the thing go and do it so you get to you land on bravo movies which is like a netflix clone looks legitimate it looks really good i mean they've put a lot so of good. A, i think <laughs> it's almost like it's almost like they got together and they've been like you know what people are far too amateur about this getting downloaders on people's machines we are gonna level up how this is done and they've they've, they've i mean they've gone at it properly yeah, they've literally, yeah. literally made made films up from like yeah. they could just use yeah. real no they films. could have used any <laughs> film up yeah but you know the problem is the problem DMCA. is <laughs> if, they, if they weren't yeah if they, if they were real films you'd be like oh actually this looks quite good maybe I don't want to cancel my <laughs> subscription <laughs> to Bravo movies I think I want to keep Bravo movies I want to watch <laughs> but even the FAQ the perfect page. match sorry so the FAQ so it's like I'm on Bravo thing so i need to cancel this how, how do i cancel there's an faq button i click the faq button it's like the first faq is what is urban cinema and then where can i <laughs> yes, watch yeah, and then it's it talking yeah, about movies yeah. and then like halfway like three you quarters have to scroll of, quite a long way down then it's cancel. how do i cancel yeah. yeah and it's like you can easily cancel in two clicks no cancellation fees well great because i don't want to get billed for something i'm not already paying for and that's when you download the excel spreadsheet which says fill in all these things whilst it's silently deploying cobalt strike behind the doors like it's so complex convoluted but it looks so beautiful i think I, uh, has anyone here tried to cancel microsoft office 365 recently because that <laughs> oh 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 we, are we gonna okay so i've been charged for three years for office 365 from a company before i worked at immersive labs <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> yeah, I know a lot about that. <laughs> I've had lots of annoyed emails back and forth in my bank about that. Yeah. And the bit that I was, uh, what happens? So what happens next? I mean, they want you to download the down. Obviously, they want you to download the downloader. But what what happens next? 
Is it ransomware? Is it is it like some other kind of malware? Could it be anything? Uh, it's a first stage implant. So Cobalt right. uh, Strike runs, deploys something. Uh, from there, they can load whatever they want into it. Um, these things are usually uh, credential harvesting, uh, banking stuff. So that, we're talking like um, consumer malware. So the the targeting my parents, my my grandparents is that kind of like each each infection is going to get them like a few hundred dollars but this will be out to tens of thousands of people across the globe it's that kind of old school campaign rather than anything else but if it's going to hang on i'm sorry i've got to take it if you're saying it's going to tens of thousands of people how can they possibly scale this call center so they're going to spray out. Like, just that's like why a normal just cult, make, put them on hold. But I don't understand. Just make <laughs> them click a link and then they go to a website and the website has to download. I don't understand why you have to get them to ring a number. Automated. <laughs> or it's the automated analysis. Like any kind of AV is going to see you clicking links. It's going to see that. So yeah. by uh, taking so that away a, from yeah, you, okay. you, so it's evading. It's trying to evade some kind of detection. Is basically what you're getting. At. It makes yeah. it real as well, doesn't it? That's the social engineering part of it. It makes it real if you speak to a. It person. also means mm. if you phone that number, you're pretty likely to go and click on the website. Yeah, of course, because you're just going to do what the email tells <laughs> you to do, especially when it says it's going to charge you. I'm trying and then I'm going to see how much it was. Oh my gosh, it's forty dollars a month. It's no wonder people are ringing up to cancel now, it. What have and I've seen this done, and there's there's some really great YouTube videos of this happening. I think Mark Rober pushed one out. Uh, what they do is, if that fails, they'll get you back on the phone. Uh, they'll say, right, we need to cancel this. And one of the things they do is they do a screen share. They um uh, they get you to log in. They yeah. uh, they set it to like we're just going to refund you. Uh, so they'll refund you uh, $4,000 instead of forty, And then they'll do the panic, oh my God, I sent you too much money. Uh, look, here it is. You can see it's gone. Uh, I need you to send that back to me. Uh, and they actually get people to post the money. They'll post $4,000 <laughs> through the postal service to the attackers because uh, that's what they do. Like It's so complex and convoluted, but uh, Mark Rober did a great dive on this. Um, uh, he glitter-bombed them, so he, uh, he intercepted, he worked with the people, uh, intercepted UPS delivery, switched the money packages out with <laughs> glitter bombs. So when they I opened them, but uh, the whole thing went on. They, there's uh, safe houses, which were Airbnbs, where they then had people who were paid $50 to go and pick up the parcel and deliver it onwards. Mm. Like, there's a massive chain behind this. Like, it's so incredibly it, complex. It, it must. The thing is, it must be lucrative, and it's sort of an insight into how lucrative this kind of fraud can be, that they could put all of this effort into it. It's astonishing. They, they intercepted two packages on the UPS van, and I think it was something like $30,000 had been posted in one, oh and something me. like 20000 in the other. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of money behind it, because... If you're vulnerable enough, and I don't want to use the word stupid, if you're vulnerable enough to answer that uh, email and phone up that people, you're already hooked. Like they know they're going to get it from you, and they just—it's straight up social engineering from there. And the the malware in the back end is just like how they do that initial recon uh, in a lot of these places. Like track your bank, see how much money you've got, so that when we do this, we know the exact amount of transfers and stuff like that. It's dirty, it's crappy, but it works. And I think that's the quite fun. That's the bottom line. I, I, will, I, enjoy, I enjoyed reading about it. Uh, I honestly, 
the glitter bombs was hilarious. I was going to say, I think there should be more glitter bombs in cybersecurity research. <laughs> generally, <laughs> just generally. Oh, there's, oh, just just go on YouTube. There's there's these whole things where you know the people who steal packages, Amazon packages from your doorstep. There's a guy who designs a fart and glitter bomb. It's the same guy, that, Mark Rober. That, yeah, and you, you pull it open, and then it spins up, and it sh- like shows showers you in glitter. It should shower you with glitter and glue so that everyone knows you've been stealing parcels. Yeah, yeah it's now, really good. Now I've got mental images of a glitter bomb opening up on the Reveal ransomware gang's desk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's what... From the Biden administration. That's what CISA should get, get on straight away. Okay, so we don't have much time, so we're going to close with one final uh, one final hacker's could. It's not, it's not hilarious, um, but it did get a fair amount of... Uh, it got a fair amount of press coverage this week, and that is this these flaws in Secure Boot on on Dell machines. Kev, can you tell us what it actually is? What are these vulnerabilities? Uh, so there's uh, there's a handful of vulnerabilities in uh, Secure Boot. So Secure Boot is part of the BIOS and it's um, responsible for loading up the, the firmware and making sure that you're loading signed firmware and, and things of that nature. Mm. It's also, you can do uh, like updates and tier two updates. So there's a, there's a load of network related stuff there. And the researchers found that the TLS implementation they were using wasn't the best and you could um like machine in the middle uh, and if you could put yourself in a privileged network position therefore i can control all traffic on the network uh, then you could manipulate some of those updates and some of those things in order to gain code execution so very real risk mm. but definitely a hackers could like it's like the amount of network privilege you'd need in order to be able to pull this off in some very specific situations, I could do far more damage against your organization. Yeah, so if you've taken all that time and you've taken all that time and effort to get what is required to be able to exploit this vulnerability, you've kind of already done what you need to do is basically what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, if I if I can control like all of your DNS and all of your packets, I'm just gonna redirect all of your SAP to be to my local SAP. And when you log into when you think you're logging into your SAP account, you're logging into my fake site and I've just captured your credentials. That's significantly more damaging than trying to compromise this. So not to downplay the work the researchers have done, but very much a hackers could and I don't ever expect to see this being exploited in the wild oh sorry so it was as, <laughs> it, 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 it was as dull as i expected and on that mildly underwhelming bombshell we must bring things to a close if you've enjoyed this podcast please do subscribe rate and comment wherever you get your audio content and if you want to know more about immersive labs you can find us at immersivelabs.com or follow us on twitter at immersive labs until next time from all of us goodbye goodbye Bye. goodbye, goodbye.